0: one of the things that newcomers to this church have said a couple times and I agree with them, it's a huge blessing. They look around here and they say it's amazing how many people are serving the Lord in some capacity at the church next door. They said too many times we've been at places where just a few people are doing all the work, but here it seems like almost everybody's contributing something. And I got to say, praise the Lord. It's is when everybody brings their spiritual gifts to the mix when the, when the magic happens and I want to say thank you But I've been around the church world over 40 years now and and I've noticed in the church world There are two very different ways of doing ministry You know some people do ministry with a smile as they're serving It's almost a glow that you see as they're serving the Lord and then there are others who are doing ministry-type work, but it's more like with a, a scowl on their face, almost like someone switched the communion wine with vinegar, you know. And I think about what's the difference between those who serve with that smile and those who serve with that scowl. And I think a lot of it comes down to two questions. I want us to ponder this, especially if you're one who, who serves in ministry in some way. First question is this, who is our focus on as we serve, right? Who's our focus on? And second, what is our real motivation as we serve? I think the answers to those questions are the, the difference between that smile and that, that scowl. And we're going to look at a parable today that deals... With our focus and our motives as we serve. And I think it's important because if we apply what we learn, it could be the difference between your ministry being a joy or your ministry being a tedious burden. Now, Some of you might have read this parable before, and you say, how do we know this is what the parable is about? Jesus doesn't even come right out and tell us like he does sometimes, this is what the parable means. How do we know what it's about? Context. Daniel has a shirt, Caitlin has a shirt that says, context is king. What are they talking about? When you read a scripture, you need to always look at what comes before it, and what comes after it if you really want to understand what's going on. What is the context of this parable we're going to look at today? Well, if you were with us last week at the end of Matthew 19, you remember that Jesus' disciples watched the rich young ruler reject Jesus and, and walk away. And Peter piped up in Matthew 19, 27, he said, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus told him there will be reward, and he explained some of that reward, but Jesus also knows his disciples, right? He knows they loved competition. They loved one-upping others. There had already been some arguments about which one of us is the, the greatest. Which one ranks the highest? And I think Peter may have been thinking as he looked at that rich young ruler that, hey, even if this rich young ruler does eventually come around, we're going to rank above him because we've been with Jesus from the start. So Jesus wanted to speak to Peter about a couple things. One, it's not wrong to talk about rewards or even acknowledge them. The Bible does. Jesus does. Jesus does. But if compensation is, is your primary motivation, your motivation is off. And that's one thing he wanted to get through to Peter. And I think he also wanted to let them and us know that there are going to be surprises in eternity when it comes to who gets what reward. God's formula is different than yours. God's formula is different than mine. His, his ways are higher than ours, and that applies to this reward thing, too. So he said in Matthew 19, 30, many who are first will be last and the last first. Then he launches into today's parable. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. And we're going to start by looking at an early morning agreement. As the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Early in the morning, was probably between 5 and 6 a.m. The typical workday at this time was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so he's got to go down to the labor market. Have you ever seen the one on Miller Valley where the guys stand there ready for work? Probably something similar to that, just waiting to get picked up for a job and Many have wondered if when Jesus told this parable, he had the September harvest of the grapes in mind, because often these masters had their own workers for the typical work, but there was an urgency when it was harvest time, because if you left those grapes on even a little too long, they'd be filled with too much sugar, and it would ruin the wine, not to mention... The October rains were coming, so you had to get the the grapes picked. So the masters would go down and hire these day laborers. So you think about that day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., he's down there recruiting some workers at the beginning. Verse 2, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. A denarius was a typical day's wages, And back then, it covered about a day's worth of living. They didn't have as much margin as you and I have here in America. And we need to understand about these these day laborers. In that culture, they were very dependent on masters like this. They were more desperate than even servants because servants had a steady connection going with their family. Okay, these day laborers, if they didn't work that day, their family might not eat. That night. They were in a desperate position. That's why we read in Deuteronomy twenty four fifteen when when Moses writes about hired workers, he says, You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor, and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and, and be guilty of sin. So you better believe these guys were happy to be hired. And they agreed to a denarius for the 12 hours. That's at 6 a.m. You jump forward to 9 a.m. Verse 3, going out about the third hour, the master saw others standing idle in the marketplace. and, And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Now, these workers would have a nine-hour workday instead of the 12-hour workday. And you see there's no agreement here. They just trust the master to give them whatever is right. Jump forward to noon and 3 p.m. that day, you see the same thing. Going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So these workers now would have a six-hour workday and a a three-hour workday, respectively. How many of you like a three-hour workday? Let's jump forward to 5 p.m. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too for a one-hour workday. Maybe it was that last one-hour push the master needed to get the the rest of those grapes off. So that's the workday. But now I want to talk to you about a surprise at at pay time. We don't like surprises at pay time, do we, usually? We want to know what's coming. Sun's probably setting, 6 p.m. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, right there, that might have already been a surprise to the guys that started at 6 a.m. Hey, we've been here all day. We should go first so we can get out of here and go see our families, right? But he, he starts with the last ones. Okay. And what happens? Is when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. That's the same thing the 12-hour workers agreed to with the master. Now, I think when those 12-hour workers saw the last workers lining up, they probably thought, oh, they're, they're going to get a pondion." You know what a pondion was? It was a coin that was one-twelfth of a denarius. But they, they saw them give the one-hour workers the same thing they had agreed to. Verse 10, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Makes sense to the human mind, right? Maybe they're thinking, hey, if they got one, maybe we'll get 12 denarius, denarii. But each of them also received a denarius. How would they take that? The UAW <laughs> going through strikes right now would have been up in arms, right? But <laughs> Jesus isn't talking about labor in this world. He's talking about his kingdom. How would they take it? Verse 11, we're going to see the reaction of the early birds. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You hear what they're saying? They're saying, This is not fair. We've been... We've been busting our tails out here all day in the heat. They come in 5 o'clock after the sun's already starting to set. It's cool. And they work one hour. And you pay them the same. they are angry. What would the master say? Verse 13. He replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Now just imagine for a second one of these workers had said, I'm gonna take this to court, and and they go in and and they say to the judge, this guy only paid us a denarius for 12 hours of work, and the judge asks one penetrating question, what did you agree with the master for? A denarius. Next case right that's why the master says did you not agree with me for a denarius verse 14 take what belongs to you and go i choose to give to this last worker as i give to you am i not allowed to do what i choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be first and the first last. This parable is bracketed with statements like that, though they're, they're flipped if you read them close. The last will be first and the first last. So I want to bring this home. What in the world do you and I, especially those of us who serve in ministry in, in any way, what do we take away from this parable? I'm going to come back to the two questions we started with and i want to ask you who is your focus on as you serve and what is your real motivation as you serve think about this this is not just any master here who who is the master representing the story this is god or jesus christ right what did the master call the complainer friend Right. And though there was rebuke in the the context there, he calls the complainer friend. You think about what kind of master you and I serve. Think about what he said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Which is exactly what this master would go on to do. Right. And then he says this. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, you understand that if you're serving in ministry, you're not just serving some cold hearted master, <laughs> you're serving a master who laid down his life for you and then calls you friend as you obey him. Listen, not all masters out there are wonderful like Jesus. Not all masters would call you friend. Friend. Not all fields bring a good harvest. They they could have been serving a very different master. You think about what Paul writes in Romans 6, starting at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. There's a different field they could have been working in serving the master of sin, and the harvest is death. Paul goes on, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Listen, some of us have spent some time in sin's field. And you know the brutal harvest of misery and hollowness and death it brings, right? Now, believer, you serve in Jesus' field. I think they should have been thankful that they got to work in his field at all. What a privilege to work in his field. Now, let me ask you another question. If the early birds had focused on their master. Locked in on him and the agreement that they had with him, would they have complained? No. No, what happened? They, they, they got distracted. They, they would have been content because the master was just and he kept his word to those early birds. When did they get into trouble? And they began to set their focus on the other workers, right? They, they slipped into that old compare and compete trap. And we got to be careful we don't fall into the same thing as we serve Jesus today. For them, it was, hey, they just started and we, we've been here from the beginning, but that compare and compete with other ministry workers comes in all sorts of fashions. It, it can happen if, if you have a particular spiritual gift and you start using it in the church and you look at that person next to you and you say, hey, why aren't they doing that? You know, think about it like this. Some of you have the gift of encouragement, and you're great at encouraging people, and that is so important in the church. We need people like Barnabas. This is a discouraging world. But as you're out encouraging people using your spiritual gift, you may look at the person next to you and say, why don't they do it as much as I do? Maybe they don't love people as much as I do. But let me ask you a question. What if the the person next to you has a different spiritual gift? Related, but a little bit different, like exhortation, the ability to take God's word and challenge people to obedience. It's a different gift. And it may not be as comfortable as encouragement, but it's just as needed. You could flip it the other way. The exhorter could say, man, I'm always challenging people to obey God's word, but this person over here is always always just comforting them. Hey, how's about you step back and say, there's all kinds of jobs in the master's vineyard. Let me focus on what he called me to do and let that person focus on what they're called to do. Same with, let me give you two other gifts. Let's say you got the gift of service, and that's important as we go out and love people in tangible ways. Maybe you go help them with some landscaping or or help at a school representing the church and Jesus. And, and you look at someone in the church who leads a small group, and, and you say, that person's always leading that small group, always teaching. Why weren't they at that service project with us? You know what I would say to the, the serving people? If you didn't have people who taught God's truth in the church, then... We become no better than any other social, social organization out there if we don't have the teaching of the truth. And, and if, if the teacher ever got judgmental and looked at the people out there serving and said, "How's come they aren't out there teaching people about God's word? I would say to the teacher, hey, guess what? If all we ever did around here is, is teach the truth and people never saw it, they never saw the hands and feet of Jesus, you know how hollow that message would be? So instead of comparing and competing, we say, thank you, Lord, for all the different workers. Let me let me focus on what you gave me to do. I think about another thing. How many of you know sometimes you need a season of rest in ministry? Have you ever been there at the end of your rope? And you said, man, I just need uh, an extended time away with the master. Listen, during these 12 hour days, there were two hours set aside for lunch And breaks. So this is another way uh, we could get into that compare and compete trap. We we are out there running, 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 and we see someone who's taking a break, taking a rest with the master, and we start to think, boy, look at that lazy bum. I'm over here busting my tail, and they're over there doing nothing. Guess what? Maybe they need that rest. Stop comparing and stop competing and focus on what he has for you. Peter ran into this trap. You remember John 21, Jesus was predicting how his life would come to an end. Uh, John 21:18. after the resurrection, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. And what does Peter quickly do? Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who sat, John, following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Lord, what about this man? Let's get the focus off of me and you, and I want to talk about him, what he's supposed to do. But what's Jesus say in verse 22? He said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. It's like eyes right here, Peter. You remember that old video going around a couple years ago, you worry about yourself? (laughs) That's what I hear Jesus saying to Peter, and some of us need to grow in that area. Stop worrying so much about what everybody else is doing or not doing and say, Jesus, what do you have for me? Instead of comparing and competing, I want to give you a couple C words that should drive us as we serve him. How about if we were just compelled by his love, as Paul says? We see the love of a master who went to a cross for our sins. And that compels us. Listen to what Paul wrote in Titus 3. And let me ask you a question before we read. Did, did what God did for us come first Or did our good works come first in this passage? Which comes first, God's work for us or our work for him? Titus 3, 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Which came first, his work for us or our work for him? His work should compel us to do those works by his spirit out of gratitude, right? Here's another C word. Instead of comparing and competing, how about if we had compassion for the people around us that that God has called us to serve? This even comes from the cross. Mark 10, 43, he looked at his guys, said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to bring out another point about the wonderful master in this parable. We learn in the parable that the master is allowed to do as he pleases with his own resources, Some of us need to hear that again. The master is allowed to do as he pleases with his own resources. Now, what does that mean? If you know scripture, you're probably asking a question. Does that mean every believer gets the same reward in heaven? No. Every believer receives the wonderful gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. But listen to what Paul says about rewards in 1 Corinthians 3.8. It says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, right? Matthew 25 talks about the parable of the talents, and, and the reward is based on faithfulness, and there's different level of reward. So what's the point here? It's not that everybody gets the same reward. It's that God will reward all his disciples justly, graciously, and, and generously and being the sovereign God he's free to do as he pleases whether we understand it or not I think it also means like I said there's going to be some surprises when we get to heaven it could very well be that that a bedridden elderly woman who could do nothing more than offer up faithful prayers throughout her waking hours will receive more reward in heaven than a Billy Graham who traveled the world and shared the gospel. You don't know. I don't know. There are going to be some surprises, I believe, when it comes to the rewards. And here's another point about our wonderful master. The master is generous. Remember he asked them, he said, do you begrudge my generosity? Master is generous and we should not begrudge him that. I want to show you a couple ways our master is wonderfully generous. He kept going back, back to hire more and more workers. And I think about those 5 p.m. workers. Who do you think's left at 5 p.m.? The strongest guys? Probably not. Probably the weaker guys that many masters had passed over. That day, Some of us know what it is to be passed over in life. It starts when you're a kid sometimes and you don't get picked for that kickball team or you're the last one, but some of us know it even as adults being walked by time and time again. This master went back at the 11th hour and hired those 5 p.m. workers because guess what? He knew their families, their families needed to eat as much as the 6 a.m. workers needed to eat. And I think about that master going back again and again, and I think about something Jesus said about himself in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. This 11th hour hiring should be encouraging to us. Hey, just as 21st century Christians, hey, Hey, we're not second-rate just because we didn't get in when Peter did. God still got a, a generous reward plan for believers today, or maybe you're one of those who came to Jesus later in life. We see people coming to, to Jesus at all different ages in Scripture. You, you see John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, right? But then at the other end of the spectrum, you see older fellows like Nicodemus, the Pharisee and Joseph of Arimathea, right? There's hope for the 11th hour believer. The, the master's still generous, okay? I, I think about this, and I think about the fact that many are looking at what's going on in the Middle East and wondering if this is indeed the 11th hour of history. Is that trumpet going to sound before we even walk out of this room this morning? It may. This gives hope. Have have you come to Jesus? He's still seeking. He's still looking to save the lost. This came home to me when a cousin reached out to me this week. She's older than me. She's the oldest cousin. So she calls me Scotty. And I grew up in a home going to church from an early age, came to to know Jesus as a six-year-old. And I I never knew if this cousin had spiritual interest or not. I had never heard, but I got a message from her this week. And she said, hey, next time you're in Ohio, could you baptize me at Mill Hollow? That's a special place we all go to in Ohio for different events. And I said, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Tell me what's going on in your life. What's God doing in your life that, that led you to think about that? And and she said, what, what happened last year, and last year we lost two grandparents. I think it got a lot of our family thinking about eternity. Two grandparents went to be with Jesus. She said, with everything that happened last year, I started turning to faith in Jesus. I, I started reading my Bible. I started going to see a counselor at the local church. <laughs> and I said, I can't wait to see you in summer 2024. I said, if you can't wait that long, I got pastor friend." She said, oh, no, I'll wait. But could you imagine if she told me that? And, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I got saved when I was six, and I've been in the church for a long time, and now you just like 40 years later, you know, you think you're going to. I don't know. No. That would would be the the height of arrogance, right? Think of it like this. Think about all those hostages that we pray for right now, over 200 taken by Hamas. and Thankfully, two of them were released this week. They were the first that I know of to be released. Let, let's say that God in his grace allows more of those to be released. Do you think the first two to, to be released would have any air of superiority towards the later ones to be released? No. Would they, would they not be more likely to open their arms and say, I'm so glad you were set free too"? Now think about this. All those 11th hour people out there who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're hostages in a spiritual battle. Their, their eyes have been blinded by Jesus. So there is no place for arrogance or competing or superiority complex for those of us who have been around a while. There's only place for us to open our arms and say, guess what? I'm another beggar just like you. I just happened to find the bread before you did. Come on in. Just like Barnabas did with, with Saul, right, when the rest of the church doubted could this guy could this guy really be where's your focus as you serve who's it on what's your your primary motivation I want to close by talking to anybody doing ministry work that's kind of lost the joy maybe it's become nothing more than just a grievous burden to you listen motive Motive matters. Come back to who are you focused on? Are you focused on this wonderful master, Jesus? What's your motivation? Is it it his glory and the good of those around you? Or has it become something else? Motive matters. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, if you doubt that motive matters, husbands, imagine this: it's it's your anniversary. Do so you realize you you better go get some flowers or something? So you go down to the store and and you just grab the first one you can find. It's all wilty and. There's wonderful ones around, but you don't spend time on it. You just grab one, and, and you get home, and you're in a hurry to get to work, and, and she's in bed, so you, you throw them on the bed and say, happy anniversary, i got to get to work. You compare that to the, to the husband who goes down there and out of love picks the finest flowers that he can afford on his budget, and he goes home and he cuts those stems under the water and and puts it on the table and and fluffs them out and maybe even makes her favorite caffeinated beverage and says, hey, honey, happy anniversary. I got something for you. Motive matters. If you're struggling with the motive this morning, I want to close with the words of Revelation chapter 2 I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. That's quite a list of works, right? Verse 4, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Father, I pray this morning for anyone in this room who finds himself in that place where, where ministry has lost its joy, it's just because become a tedious burden because the enemies come in and got our motivation askew, got our focus on other people, got our focus off of you. May your spirit work to restore that joy of walking with you. Restore a clear vision of the master we serve, the son of man who came to seek and save what was lost and laid his life down for us. May may that compel us to serve you. May you restore that joy. I pray for any workers in this room who who are in the middle of a season of rest, is quietly abiding in you in stillness for a season. May you fill and replenish and strengthen And, Father, I pray for any living on the brink of the 11th hour, whether it's in their own life or the history of the world, that they would understand there is a Savior who came looking for workers in his field at the 11th hour. Draw them to the cross. Today is the day of salvation. Bring them to this wonderful Savior who laid down his life and rose again, that they might find salvation and purpose and meaning in his vineyard in jesus name amen